Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you. Wonderful. Please take a seat. Turn to your neighbour and say, I'm glad to be sitting next to you. Wonderful. Thank you, worship team. Beautiful job. I want to... uh, pick up on what uh, Wayne was saying earlier and just echo uh, congratulations to John Barillara and the family and uh, Deanna and the girls. Uh, It's a great um, result and outcome and uh, as Wayne intimated, it's good to have people of faith, people of integrity in our government making decisions and uh, so it's a very powerful thing. Also, presence, you saw, it's the last presence conference, and uh, I I would encourage you to uh, get along if you can. It's going to be the last presence uh, in the format that it is now. They're going to mix it up. They're actually going to take the presence leadership tour to 20 cities around the globe, and so uh, the big gathering as it is, uh, is, uh, this will be the last one, and um, uh, so I'd encourage you, get along if you can. It's been almost a pilgrimage for, for, for Deb and I and our family for a long time. Christy, our daughter, during the week, was, uh, we were in a meeting and she was saying that she can remember going since she was 14 years old to Presence and how it's just shaped her over the years in its various forms. And so it's good to have a spiritual pilgrimage and I might get onto that a bit later. And... Uh, had a great week this week. We were at a uh, area directors summit for uh, some of the oversight responsibilities we have throughout uh, Australia for C3 Church. We have 104 churches or locations in Australia now. There's about 14 in the pipeline over the next 12 months or so that'll be coming forward, which is really exciting. And uh, as I said, we were strategizing and planning and praying into all of that. As part of that, we were doing a team building exercise. So we went to watch. Uh, Carlton versus Richmond at the MCG. That was exciting. So um, that was exciting. But we also did a team building exercise around axe throwing. And I just want to put this out there um, that, that you might think that I am a nice guy, but I actually I came that close to winning the tournament. I went through undefeated to the final. I beat uh, Magruder, remember Andrew from last week, six foot six, you know, he looks like an axe thrower, right? I beat him first round. I beat uh, another guy, um, Ryan Croxford, I beat him, young buck, so I thought he could throw an axe, but wasn't very accurate. Um, It's all about the target in the end, isn't it? So I went through, I beat my son-in-law, I beat my son-in-law, and I said, this one's for marrying my daughter. Bullseye, beat him in that one. But uh, then, so I went straight through, undefeated to the, the final, and I ended up against Steve, our son-in-law, in the final, and it came down to the last throw, and I missed by that much, and he beat me. And, uh, but it goes to show a lot about the family dynamics that we enjoy, is uh, my son-in-law and I were in the final. Um, but anyway, it was a great week. Team building. So uh, 
We're going to wrap up today the whole thinking around Enlighten that we've been doing for this month. And uh, then we're going into uh, uh, April is obviously season of Easter and everything else that's happening. So hope is alive will be uh, our theme for uh, Easter. And uh, we're actually going to be doing, uh, on Good Friday, we're doing a Good Friday service. For the first time uh, since Deb and I have been leading the church, we're doing a Good Friday service. It'll be a more reflective kind of a service, I think, at 9 o'clock on Good Friday. So I'd encourage you to do that, come along to that, and uh, also Easter Sunday as as well. And uh, so just as we wrap up uh, around the whole thought of enlightened, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I'm going to unpack some thoughts around this, but uh, I opened up the series talking about the whole concept of the enlightenment back in the 18th century, 17th, 18th century was around, it culminated in this phrase, dare to know. And again, I want to reiterate that to you today. Dare to know. Dare to know what God has in store and planned for you. And uh, I was thinking, thinking about this. I don't know about you, but have you ever had an aha moment in your life? You know, when the light bulb went on. A moment, um, sometimes, sometimes it's called a eureka moment. Maybe it's called an epiphany. Just that moment when suddenly you get it whatever it is, but whatever that happens to be. And, uh, you know, the definition of an epiphany is that um, it's a manifestation, a striking appearance, an experience um, uh, of a sudden and striking realisation. An experience of a sudden and striking realisation. And generally the term is used to describe scientific breakthrough, religious or philosophical discoveries. But it can apply to any situation in which an enlightening realisation allows a problem or situation to be understood from a new and deeper perspective. I'm believing this morning that you're going to see something in your life from a deeper perspective and understand it. There's some famous epiphanies that we are aware of in history. Uh, Archimedes' realisation of how to estimate the volume of a given mass. I don't know why that would be an epiphany. Why would you even think about wanting to do that? But anyway, for him it was. Uh, and it inspired him to shout, Eureka! A Eureka moment. And uh, from that we got pi and all that sort of stuff. But that was, a, that was a, an epiphany. Eureka means I have found it. Say Eureka! All right. Albert Einstein, uh, as a young child, um, was given a compass and realized that the same unseen force in space was making it move. And it led to his thinking around the theory of relativity and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Newton and gravity in the apple. That was a, a eureka moment. It was a, an epiphany. He got something um, out of that. You know, Hollywood is full of epiphany moments as well. I thought I'd just show you one, just so that, uh, just to kind of get you thinking here, if we could just show that. Thanks, Dave. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. You 
You had me at hello. You had me at hello. This is the best talking group ever. Who's been in a connect group like that? <laughs> I love it. You complete me. An epiphany moment from Hollywood. Not sure that that's the best marriage advice, but anyway, it's uh, worth looking at. Who loves Tom Cruise? <laughs> the, the, Tom Gr the Top Gun Tom Cruise, maybe, but not the Jerry Maguire Tom Cruise. But, uh, so, uh, but we live in a cynical world. That's what he said. We live in a cynical world, and we do. And sometimes we need epiphany moments. And um, I've, had a, I've had a few epiphany moments in my, in my life, a few aha moments. And uh, most of them have come after periods of reflection and contemplation and thinking about things and, and, and that kind of thing, which is probably, you know, part of the definition of, of that kind of thing. But uh, I can remember uh, my salvation moment came after talking and uh, having conversation with a friend for probably nearly two years and he shared the, the gospel message with me and, and kept inviting me to things and I eventually went to, as a 17 year old, I uh, went to, um, to a, a camp at Easter time with a, a whole bunch of uh, about a hundred other uh, teenagers at the time and uh, I responded to a, a salvation altar call. I remember sitting on bales of hay listening to this ex-Navy guy share his story and uh, extend the invitation to accept Christ and so I remember doing that and uh, I, had, I didn't really know what I was doing cognitively but I just knew I needed that connection, and so I had that salvation experience. That was a that was a, a moment f for me. I remember, I remember the moment, the aha moment, the you complete me moment in my relationship with Deb. Although I didn't phrase it that way, and I probably still wouldn't in a sense. But I but I can remember having a conversation in a car with Deb out in the car park outside the church that we were both going to at the time, and we both kind of come out of. The, not the best of relationships and we were developing our friendship and uh, we're trying to figure out what the future looked like and just saying to Deb, well, I know what I want, uh, so you, I'll wait for you to make your decision. And, but it was, a, like a, it was a, an epiphany moment for me because I knew what I wanted and it was like, you know, uh, like that salvation moment, the cho choosing of somebody to spend the life with, a fairly pivotal moments. In, in life. And uh, I also remember another uh, a moment where I had this revelation that I was in the ministry. And uh, at the time, we were um, living in Kirkhill in Sydney, and I was traveling to, um, uh, no, I think we were living in Harbord. And we were, I was traveling to Miranda, which is on the f south side of Sydney, commuting every day. And uh, I, what I, one, I, and I'm a bit random like this, but f for some reason I found myself in this uh, kind of like a spiritual renewal group with a, a bunch of old ladies from the Anglican church. And I just thought it would be good to go along to this for a while to develop myself spiritually. And so on the way back from Miranda, I would call into Newtown. I did this for about three months and there was a, a nunnery in Newtown. Uh, an old nunnery there, and I was part of a small group with a bunch of people. A lot of them were old, older women, and I, I just uh, I remember just uh, having just incredible encounters with God and experiences with Him, 
and uh, coming home one day and just realizing I was actually in the ministry. It didn't matter what I did vocationally. My heart was to serve God and I served God with all my heart. So wherever I was, whatever I was doing, I was in the ministry. And that was an epiphany moment for me. It was a, it was a, a revelation for me. It was an aha moment. And, uh, and so that was very, very powerful. Martin Luther had an epiphany. And um, uh, his epiphany was that the just shall live by faith. And his new understanding turned him from being a monk to a reformer of the church. And it changed history as we know it and the destiny of the church. And, uh, you know, I think as we read and unpack scripture in God's presence, I'm believing this morning that there will be a moment, something that will lodge in you, in your soul, in your spirit, that will bring an enlightenment to your heart, that will be maybe the genesis of a, a, an epiphany or an aha moment to you. So let's revisit this scripture in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? This is an inspiring portion of scripture. I'm loving that we've been spending some time out of it. And the thing about it is, enlightenment is not about an external stimulation. It's an internal awakening. It's something going on on the inside of us. And um, having the eyes of our heart enlightened is not merely intellectual clearness, but it's, there's a, a moral kind of awakening and awareness and a sensitivity and a warmth. And it's a movement of the heart as well as the head so that we actually are engaging holistically with what God's doing. Later on in Ephesians, in chapter 4, he talks about the blindness of the heart. So he talks here about how our hearts can be enlightened and we can see through our hearts, but we can also have hearts that are blind. And I pray that none of us would leave this place today with hearts that are blind. And so, for, you know, as we think about this, there um, I look at some of the uh, scriptural examples of aha moments or epiphanies. I think about Peter with the disciples when he makes this, because Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? He's been hanging out with them for a few years now. They didn't have it sorted. They just dropped everything and followed him. And so he gets to the point where just before it all starts to unravel for, for Jesus, he says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter has this revelation. You know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's, you know, we all need that, that experience and revelation of who, who Christ is. So that was a powerful scriptural moment. I think about the Roman centurion who was at the cross and witnessed the crucifixion. And he just looked up and he saw, surely this is the Son of God. That was an aha moment. It's not about the circumstances and how clinical and pristine and sterile they all are. It's about the reality of in the midst of life, we actually get to see God for who he really is. So I think about the disciples on the road to Emmaus after they'd been following Jesus for a number of years and he's crucified and they're feeling pretty down and discouraged and Jesus starts walking alongside them and he does, they don't even recognize him. That's how enlightened they were. They're walking along and it, the scripture says they were slow of heart to believe 
And so even though they've been walking with him for a while, even though you and I have been walking with God for a while, we can be slow of heart to believe at times. And, um, and suddenly it says, their eyes were opened and they knew him. You know, I believe that for you and I, we need continuous awakening, opening of our eyes. And so that for them was a, a powerful moment for those disciples. I think about Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Paul, his Damascus moment. And it was on the back of him um, st- uh, striving and conniving and planning the murder and the, uh, the destruction of the church and the disciples. And he has an encounter with God and he goes, who are you, Lord? And, it's in, and uh, he was sti- the Bible says he was still breathing threats and murder against the, dis- against the disciples and he saw a light. You know, it does, it, it's kind of like an enlightenment rises, it overshadows everything, overshadows everything. And so Paul had an encounter with God and, said, and turned from being the biggest persecutor of the church and the disciples to the biggest champion of the church and the disciples. It doesn't matter where your heart has been. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. An enlightenment, an aha, an epiphany moment for you can turn it all around. And so open your heart. Soften your heart this morning to what God might want to do. You know, I, I, I love reading the scripture and looking for aha moments. I'm not looking for the, the, the stories. I'm looking for what, the God, what God is actually wanting to speak to me. And we call that a Rima moment when we actually see what God is. Oh, that's what that means. Or that's how this applies to me. Or I'd never seen that before when we're reading Scripture. There are aha moments. There are Rima moments that are, that are way more kind of powerful and personal than just the logos, the written word and the, the law side of it. And I sometimes think that we need to slow down our spirituality, especially in this hectic day and age, to listen to God to hear those aha kind of moments and voices that are coming towards us. And, and you know, I think about one of my favorite uh, decision-making scriptures is where it talks about it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. That the things that we're contemplating, the decisions that we have to make, we're in this place of slowed down spirituality before God where it, it just seems good to us and the Holy Ghost. Because most of the time I don't get these uh, epiphanies or voices or blinding lights. Most of the time, I'm just navigating decisions one choice at a time. And so I need to be able to slow down enough and live out of this place of, you know what, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to me as I move forward. And so as we do this sort of thing, I think it's very, very helpful. I want to so we're talking about enlightenment in the particular portion of Scripture here. I want to have a look at the three watts of enlightenment. And we're going to, if we could go back, please, Dave, to that, first, that Scripture, uh, Ephesians um, 1, 17 to 18. There's three watts of our enlightenment. There's a watt around the hope. There's a watt around the riches. And there's a watt around the power. I pray... That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope that he has called you to? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance amongst the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? The hope of the calling. 
the, the richness of the inheritance and the power, all of these are the what's of the enlightenment. If we can actually get enlightened in these things, I believe it will really help us. And I've borrowed these kind of these thoughts or this framework from um, Spurgeon when I was reading some of his, his stuff, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. The first thought then, what is the hope of his calling? What does that mean? Why do we need to be enlightened in that? You know, often when I'm doing a funeral, I'll talk about hope. And, it might, and, and I'll talk about hope if I'm doing a funeral for a, uh, a person who was not walking with God uh, or a, uh, a person who knew God when they died. And I talk about the hope that we as Christians enjoy and the hope that keeps us going forward is not a wishful thinking kind of hope. It's a hope. It's a substance. It is the, the substance that's kind of enraveled with faith. And it keeps us moving forward. It is the hope. And, um, you know, that is a very, very powerful thing. Because most people, outside of their wishful thinking, well, what are we hoping for? Well, we're hoping for anything, really. But you and I have a far more substantive hope. We have a purpose in our hope. And so, <clears throat> what is the hope of, of, this, of his calling? So it's a call to peace. Colossians 3.15 and it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called. You, the hope of your calling is for peace in your heart. That is part of what this calling is. The second one is it's a call to blessing. In 1 Peter 3.9, it says, do not repay evil for evil but, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. You and I are called to peace. You and I are called to blessing. You and I are called to eternal glory. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, But may the God of all peace, who called us to his eternal glory. You and I are called to an eternal glory. This is the hope of our calling. It doesn't end here. And so as tough and as hard as life is on planet Earth, there is a hope to eternal glory that you and I are called to. That is what is the hope of the calling. What is, and it's an upward call. Philippians 3.14 I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The upward call. It's like it's eternal. It's upward. We're not going downward. We're going upward. One step, one decision, one moment, one choice at a time is an upward call that you and I. That is the hope of our calling. It's not vain and it's not without purpose. There is actually a destiny in it. It's an upward call. And it's a heavenly call. Um, and with Christ as our example, Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. We have a heavenly calling and Jesus shows us how to walk it through. Jesus' circumstances on life were tough. He had all sorts of obstacles and opposition to overcome. And yet he showed us how to reach the heavenly call. So what is the hope of the calling that we have? It's peace, it's blessing, it's eternal glory, it's upward and it's a heavenly call. And because of all of that, you and I are able to see things differently. We are enlightened in our thinking for the way that life deals with us. 
I just want to continue with some of Spurgeon's thoughts around this hope, um, the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling, he says? Brethren, let me describe the hope of those to us who have come out of the walk by faith in Jesus Christ. We have already obtained enough abundantly to reward us for obedience to the call. And even if nothing was shut up in the closed hand of hope, her open hand has greatly enriched us. Christian people, you have in possession already the forgiveness of your sin, acceptance in Christ, adoption into the divine family, and the nature, rank, and rights of a child of God. Still, our main possession lies in hope. We carry a bag of spending money in our hands, but the bulk of our wealth is deposited in the bank of hope. What then is Christian hope? It's all of these things that have been brought together. <clears throat> the first thought he says about Christian hope is that uh, he, the Christian hopes and believes that he shall be under divine protection forever and ever, and that he shall be the object of divine love, time out of mind. We are under, our hope is that we are under divine protection all the time, and that uh, the object, we are the object of divine love. This is the hope that you and I have. He talks about, we hope also that we have a perfect justification. The justification is in Christ, not in what we have done, not in the deeds that we do, not in the sins that we have committed or not committed, but we are justified through Christ. So that is the hope that we have. That is the calling that we have in Jesus Christ. We hope also for an absolute perfection. The God who has changed our hearts will continue to work the good work of sanctification until he has taken every sin out of us, every desire for sin and every possibility of sin. How awesome is that? That we hope that one day we will not be as sinful as what we are today. That's a pretty inspiring kind of hope, I would have thought. I love it, the way he puts it here. He, he says that uh, the God who has changed our hearts will continue the good work of sanctification until he has taken every sin out of us, every desire for sin and every possibility of sin. What a great thing to be hoping for. What a great thing to be hoping for. We hope also that this body of ours will be perfected, raised, changed, but still the same as to identity. Perpetual youth. I love the thought that we are hoping towards perpetual youth and a new body. Who would like a new body? I love that that is the reality of the hope that you and I are following in our calling. And he goes on to say that we hope that thus being cleared in judgment and made absolutely perfect, that we will enjoy infinite happiness. Happiness is not going to be our goal here on planet Earth. But as we respond to the upward call, the call that is our hope, the call that we respond to, that will ultimately result in infinite happiness. And you and I want to be infinitely happy. We do not know what form the joys of eternity will take, but they will take such form as shall make us the most happy. We actually don't even know the things in us that will make us the most happy. But when we get into eternity, into heaven, we will actually be enjoying those, the fruit and the fulfillment of those. And now, even, nor even now, have we come to an end, for something more yet remains, Spurgeon says. He, he says, you say, can more be? And he says, yes, we expect forever to be in a... It sounds like... Um, it's the guy out of Star Wars, Yoda. 
Can more be? <laughs> yes, it can. Yes, we expect forever to be in a condition of power and honor and relationship to God. This is the hope of our calling. This is the enlightenment. This is the first of the what's. The hope of our calling, that when we understand our calling, that we the understand the calling is not what we do, but is in who we are and how we respond to these things, that our that our our enlightenment will start to take shape. So the second second thought then is so the the first one is that the first what is that um, the what is the hope of his calling. The second what are the riches of his inheritance. What does this mean? You know, we can speculate about this uh, vainly at times, but it's only when we have enlightenment, a spiritual illumination, that it starts to make sense. Um, It's not that the formal nature of it can be discerned, but the true character and worth of it will be appreciated. The riches of his inheritance, the riches of Christ's inheritance the riches of what he's doing in us, the riches of, of the grace that he's called us into, the riches of his plan and purpose for us, the riches of the virtues that he empowers us to live, the riches of these sorts of things are of his inheritance for us. The, there are riches in this inheritance of, we, of which we sometimes don't even dream. In our coldness of heart, they look too far away, too dim and too faint. And um, we have yet to learn how infinitely glorious the riches of his inheritance are. You know, the discovery of these riches will gladden, cheer, and encourage us in the dark battle of the present. When we understand the riches of our inheritance in Christ, it helps us overcome the battles and the drudgery and the opposition and uh, the oppression of this day and age. Spurgeon again, he goes on to say, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? First thing he says, he has spent riches of love upon each and every one of us. He loves us. We don't realize the reality and the power of that. And as poor as we may be or sick and sorry as we often are, we are loved. And that is an incredible rich inheritance that we have. And if we diminish that, we do it to our peril and to our, own, um, uh, to our own no good. The second thought that Spurgeon puts out there, he says, Moreover, the Lord has spent a wealth of wisdom on his saints, and this enhances their value in his eyes. God has done the most wisest things that he could possibly do so that you and I can come into relationship with him. He has set up an orchestrated history to culminate in Jesus Christ that you and I can enter in relationship with him. And so that wisdom is the inheritance that you and I get to enjoy. Um, And he has expanded a life. So Jesus lived a life of suffering so that you and I would be able to enjoy the inheritance of the future. The inheritance that is our upward calling. So the riches of his inheritance are the virtues and the qualities and the values that uh, that heaven has set in place so that you and I are able to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ in a personal way. There comes great glory to God from the workmanship he puts into his people. This is the riches of his inheritance. You are the riches of his inheritance. Everything that he has put in you, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, your heart, your personality, your attitude, are part of the inheritance that he has put into you. 
An artisan can put into a small piece of iron of no worth at all so much labor that it shall be valued at scores of pounds. And then the triune God can expend so much workmanship upon our poor nature that a person shall be more precious than the gold of Ophir. Valued thus, the Lord may well speak of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You are the inheritance because of the value that God has placed on you, on every single thing about you. And so it becomes a sense of that if we can awaken and be enlightened to the reality of this truth, that you are incredibly worthwhile, that whole of, whole of history was redesigned to enable you to be realizing the worth that you have in Christ. How powerful is that? Don't you dare get up in the morning and say, oh, well, you know, I'm of no value. I've got nothing to offer. Don't you dare say that. Because Jesus Christ took everything for the value that he placed on you. What are the riches of his inheritance? They're in the things that enable you and I to live the life that we have now. That's the second what. The third what is, what is the power working towards us? It's a divine power. God gives us the inheritance. It is vast and glorious. Terrible difficulties stand between you and I inheriting the inheritance, between you and I reaching the calling that we have, the eternal calling that we have. And so we need the divine power of the Spirit of God to actually get through uh, to reach the inheritance and enjoy the calling. If that makes sense, we need the divine power. Until we understand somewhat of the power of God, the hope will be seen to be unattainable. So it's like if we're hoping for our calling and we're hoping for our inheritance and yet it just seems so far out of reach, you have been empowered by the Spirit of God to actually attain these things. And that becomes an incredibly enlightening reality if you and I can embrace this. Embrace this. But this we, we may understand insofar as we are enlightened rightly to appreciate the manifestation of it in the resurrection and triumph of Christ. The pledges and grounds of our future blessedness. It's all tied up in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that becomes the power working in us. And the same power was made available to you and I at Pentecost. When the power came down, when Jesus went up, the power came down. And so you and I live in the reality of the power. It is the power of God unto salvation. It was the power that brought you and I to a decision of salvation. It's something that then enables us to live in the fullness of the hope. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's the anointing that destroys the yokes of oppression that the enemy tries to saddle us with. So every yoke, every bondage, every oppression that the enemy tries to put on you is broken by the power, by the anointing that you and I actually get to enjoy and experience. The anointing destroys the yokes. It's the anointing that heals broken hearts. You might say, my heart is so overwhelmed and and broken by grief, but there is a power, a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that is available to heal your heart. If you and I can allow the enlightenment of heaven into our, into our heart, then he can heal it. It's a supernatural thing. It's a, it's a power that sets captives free. If you've been caught up in bondage of 
behaviours or addictions or whatever it may be. Maybe you've just been the, the victim of circumstances all your life and you just feel you don't have the, the opportunity to make the choices that you would like to make. You, the, captive, the power sets the captives free and binds up the wounds. It binds up the wounds that life would try to inflict upon us. And so when we have an enlightenment within us, we realize that all of these things, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, come to reality and to a fruition. So this morning, the power that is working towards us, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the riches of His inheritance, and the hope of the calling, these are the what's that make the enlightenment worthwhile. So if you think that you're enlightened, but you don't understand your calling, if you think that you're enlightened, but don't realize the reality of the inheritance that you have, or if you think that you're enlightened, but don't, don't, don't understand the power at work in your life, then I would suggest that you actually don't meet the biblical definition of what it is to be enlightened in your heart. Today, I believe that God will enlighten us in our hearts. Dare to know, dare to know, dare to know the power of God at work. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of his inheritance? What is the power working towards us? And why is it important to know these things? Why is it important to be enlightened in our heart in such a way? I think it's because if we don't realize it, then we will neglect it. And so we will let these things dissipate and diminish. And we'll, we'll allow other things to come up in competition with them. But once you and I have been born again, these things should be front and center of the priorities of our heart and lives. So don't let other things come in the way and don't neglect what God is wanting to do with you. You know, it's important that you know where your hope lies. Your hope doesn't lie in your superannuation fund. Your hope doesn't lie in the success of your, your children or your grandchildren. Your hope lies in heaven in God and what he has done for you. Your hope doesn't lie in... in um, uh, your hope isn't your own anymore. It's way bigger than that. Your hope is in you being the Lord's person to be used the way that he wants to. If you, if you are his, he will take care of you. These are the promises that come our way. And the thing about this... The third thought about why this is so important is so that we do not doubt. We do not doubt why we're here. We do not doubt why we are going through things. We do not doubt the things that are being thrown us. We do not doubt the incarnational reality of Jesus Christ. You know, there are things, there are truths. You will not be tempted beyond your ability to resist. There are things in, in your life that if, you real, if your heart is enlightened and these truths are real to you, that you will live a life that is uh, on the upward call, heaven bound, making a difference. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you for every single person in this place. I thank you for the three watts of the enlightenment of our hearts. Not just in our cognitive understanding, but as we understand the eyes of our hearts. That our eyes of our hearts would not be blinded, God. But we would embrace the hope, the calling, the inheritance, and the power that help us live lives of enlightenment before you. Father, I pray 
for people in this place today, each and every one of us. Lord, for those of us who resonated with that picture you gave us earlier about dusty sheets being taken off, dreams and visions and hopes and aspirations. Father, I pray there would be fresh light shining on those hearts this morning. Father, I pray for those of us who've drifted into seasons of doubt, that God, that this would be an aha moment. Lord, we realize the only one that completes any of us is you. And that the fact that we live in a cynical world, we, we don't lose the reality of that. But you are the one who completes us, God. And I just thank you for the power of that. Right now, every head bowed and eye closed in this place. If you're here and you don't know Jesus in a personal, a real way, I would love to make an introduction for you to the person of Jesus Christ, that your heart might be enlightened with the reality of who Jesus is. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just to signify to me that that's you and you know that God is dealing with you about that. And maybe you're coming back after being away for a long season or, or whatever, but just raise your hand. I won't get you out the front or anything. I just want to acknowledge who you are here today, the work that God is doing in your life. So if that's you, just raise your hand. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, if you're coming back after a long season away, just raise your hand so I can see it. Who today wants to make those decisions? Thank you, God. Your heart's being enlightened. I thank you, God. Thank you. See your hand. You can put it back down in the back there. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Your heart being enlightened. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I pray for all of us in this place that we would move forward the surety of the hope of our calling with understanding of what the riches of our inheritance are and understanding the power of God towards us. Father, I thank you for that truth. I pray your blessing over each and every person here today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.